a nightmare when it came to gardening and just you know planted the garden when we were kids and it was a right mess but um just no no interest in it whatsoever so my aunts and uncles encouraged it in me and apparently the story goes that I used to go off into the borders when I was about three or four and pick up handfuls of soil and eat them so um it's never done me any harm let's put it that way <laughs> it's probably done my my resistance to bacteria quite a lot of good as well that was David Harrian on the Plants and Me podcast this week who joined us for the interview uh, going back around about six, seven weeks ago now. Um, and yeah, we had a really, really good chat about all things gardening. David's very, very knowledgeable, has held many, many roles in in gardening and horticulture. Um, and we had a great interview. Um, as promised, uh, our news on the Chelsea Flower Show. Um, if you didn't listen last week, uh, we exhibit at the Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, we do a floral exhibit in the Grand Pavilion. Uh, and we won a silver gill, which we're really, really happy with. It's our first time exhibiting at Chelsea. Um, and it's gone very, very well. It's been very, very busy. Had some nice famous people on the stand as well, which uh, is always always nice, always quite exciting. Uh, we had Mary Berry on there yesterday, um, which if you look up our social media, you'll be able to see that. That's airing, uh, well, this goes out on Monday, so last Friday, so I'm sure you can get that and catch up as well. So well worth a look. You'll be able to see our stand there, and there's pictures on our social media and stuff like that as well. Um, but without further ado, uh, enjoy my podcast with David. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them, with your host, Alan Lodge. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hello, Alan. Yeah, it's nice to be with you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. What's the weather like with you? Um, actually, sunny and warming up. So we've gone from being really cold last week where we had that gnawing easterly that I I guess in Essex you had even more. Mm. Um, and it's all of a sudden gone from about six or seven degrees up to about 16. So quite nice. Which really. is really nice gardening weather, isn't it? perfect you know you it's good to get out there all the way through the spring but when there is that cold either northerly or easterly wind you just think twice about it don't you but as soon as it's warm you want to get out there yeah definitely yeah i'm out there as much as i can at the moment i drove past a garden center um uh, earlier this morning and the the car park was filling up so it's, it's definitely getting to that kind of time of year do you know, the other thing is that we get two bites at the cherry, don't we? We get the Easter weekend mm. and then we get the May Day and the Spring Bank holiday weekend. Well, that's three bites at the cherry, I suppose. If you, if you haven't bitten the cherry by the time you get to the Spring Bank holiday weekend, you're probably lagging behind a bit. Yeah, definitely. So it's nice <laughs> to start at Easter with some good weather that we can get out and get the garden done. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got into gardening. Um. It's a it, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try and cut it short. But, um, I've always been a gardener, I think, since I, I can't remember not being a gardener. I'm really fortunate. I had aunts and uncles who were really, really keen gardeners. And my mother and father weren't at all. My father was a nightmare when it came to gardening and just, you know, planted the garden when we were kids and it was a right mess. But... Um, just no no interest in it whatsoever. So my aunts and uncles encouraged it in me. And apparently the story goes that I used to go off into the borders when I was about three or four 
and pick up handfuls of soil and eat them. <laughs> so um, it's never done me any harm, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's probably done my my resistance to bacteria quite a lot of good yeah. as well. But yeah, So I've always been. And then when I was at school, I was always interested in it. I went to school in London. And um, everybody said, you've got to go to university. And I didn't really want to, to be honest. I wanted to be more get my hands dirty and dealing with something that I really loved hmm. a lot and I did well at school you know it wasn't because I was pushed into going in the gardening direction you know for that horrible reason that I wasn't particularly intelligent you know which is what a lot of people get pushed into hmm. um I was re- reasonably bright but it was just I knew what I wanted to do and that was garden so I went to uh, did my pre-entry year as you did in those days um, I went to do a pre-entry years before going to college, before going to horticultural college. Mm. And I did my pre-entry year up in North Norfolk, a place not too far away from Essex, no. uh, due north. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on the edge of the coast, uh, near a place called Wells Next to Sea. Um, there's a, um, a big country estate called Holcombe there. And I did my pre-entry year in the Ward Garden there. And it really confirmed in me that this is what I wanted to do. I was working on a, a nursery and I, I was just obsessed. Mm. I was growing all sorts of plants from seed for them and dividing plants and pruning and doing all sorts of stuff. And So by the time I went to college, and I went to Rittle College mm. just near Chelmsford. That's very, very close to us, yeah. Yeah, really nearby, isn't it? Mm. And um, so even when I, by the time I got to college, you know, even just a year of pre-entry experience at a, a, a nursery... I was firing on all cylinders and so just obsessed about plants and growing. And yeah. yeah, I was very fortunate that yeah. I started out in that way, you know. Yeah, definitely. And um, once you left college, did you have in mind what area of gardening you wanted to go into? It sounds odd to say, but no, none whatsoever, really. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, While I was at college, I was thinking, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a head gardener somewhere or am I going to go and work at a nursery or am I going to start my own landscape business? Or am I, you know, I just didn't know. And after about two weeks after I left college, and you had then you had to wait six weeks until you could sign on yeah. on the dole. <laughs> and um, and I, I just thought, I don't really want to be on the dole. I want to do something, you know, really positive. So I was hanging around applying for all sorts of jobs right, left and centre. And... Um, Somebody said to me, when you talk to me about gardening, your eyes light up and you really inspire me. And I thought, oh, perhaps I ought to be a teacher then. So I applied to Wolverhampton Polytechnic to go and do um, what's called a PGCE in teaching. And I did that. And I just, if gardening was my passion and my love, then I felt like teaching was my vocation. Mm. So I went and became a teacher. And so I taught at um, North College of North Welsh College of Horticulture, um, which was almost as far north as I'd lived in my life, <laughs> and then went on back to Rittle College um, after I'd qualified and taught at Rittle College for two years to sort of repay a bit of you know the investment that mm. they'd made in me. And I really liked the team there. And then I went to Sparshop College just outside Winchester in Hampshire and 
that really convinced me that I all of that experience just really convinced me that I loved talking about gardening and training other people and trying to inspire them mm. um so yeah and then I went on to eventually rolled up in Dorset which is where I live now uh, and taught at Kingston Moorwood College near Dorchester so you know and and at that time there was loads of writing on the wall as far as I was concerned about making teaching more and more paper heavy mm. um so much administration and all the colleges that I went to seemed to realize that I was yeah, I could do the teaching about horticulture on autopilot so they wanted to give me more and more responsibility for tutorial groups and things like that mm. and I just thought that's going to take me more and more away from the teaching more and more what I love so there was a bit of a quandary after that many years of teaching and I then decided that I would start applying for head gardeners jobs and nursery jobs again you know mm. and seeing what was out there and happened to live in Dorset at the time as I say and a job came up with Amateur Gardening magazine oh right and um they wanted um sub editor and um so I landed the job amazingly and so that was my start of my journalism so I've bolted on things do you know what I mean I've, yeah. I've started in gardening mm. And then bolted on things that allow me to not necessarily get my fingers dirty all the time in it, mm. but allow me to communicate and talk about it and use perhaps my other skills. So, yeah, I've I've been very very fortunate. Yes, very fortunate indeed. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And the, uh, the amateur gardening magazine. Uh, you've also done things for Gardeners World. Yeah, so I I I've been in journalism on and off um, in various sort of full-time positions and then periods when I, I've not been employed directly by a magazine. You know, I've done freelance stuff. Mm. But I've worked for nearly all of the gardening magazines in my time. And I think it's about 10 years ago now, I applied to do some uh, maternity cover for Gardener's World magazine. Mm. And, um, yeah, the rest is sort of a bit of history. I ended up being the deputy editor there until about three years ago and um yeah really loved it really loved writing about it and planning photo shoots and practical stuff and trying to show people how to garden hmm. because i think you know that's one of the things a lot of the snippets that we get on telly you know the little visual bites and sound bites you get on the radio aren't always long enough to really explain to people how to garden properly hmm. and um so the magazines i think I've got a bit of a duty to deliver that information. And of course, websites nowadays, you know, have taken on some of that as well. Yeah. 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 I, I'm just passionate about communicating with people who are newbie gardeners, you know, people who've never gardened before. That it's not a select club. You know, <laughs> we can all do it. Exactly. And we can all enjoy it and we can get so much out of it. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's an interesting thing in the, the time that you've been in horticulture and in gardening. Um, have you seen a bit of a, a disconnect with younger people and gardening? Yeah, I mean, initially, definitely. When I, I mean, I'm 55 now, and so I've been in the industry, in inverted commas, I've been in the industry since my late teens, early 20s. Mm. Um, and back then, fewer and fewer people wanted to be involved in horticulture. It, we, it became more and more remote. We'd had this 
it was like a generational disconnect. So my generation and the generation below me were were just not interested in growing. They were more interested in technology and you know advances in in all those sorts of things. And the thought of getting majority people of my generation, the thought of them getting their hands dirty, mm. they just didn't want to know, and they didn't think it was necessary. Yeah. And so I think in the last 10 or 15 years of my career, it's been a complete sea change. Hmm. But the trouble is that we've got this generational disconnect. So perhaps the current generation's grandparents might have been gardeners or might have known how to garden, but but their parents don't. Hmm. And um, I think that's a bit of a problem, really. And if we just rely on websites, which is what the current generation seem to you know, thrive on. If we just rely on that information, the trouble is that some of it isn't always um, not exactly correct because gardening isn't an exact science, but it might be information that they're being given that isn't right mm. and they could do it better, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, but, but the great thing is that young people are reconnecting with the environment and gardening and and aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. So I, I'm thrilled with what's happened, really. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'd agree there's a, there's a gap in the middle, and I think I sit in the gap, actually. I might be towards the top. I'm 38. Um, but there's a gap in the middle. But certainly what we're seeing, um, all of our plants are sold online, but we're certainly seeing younger people um, get into it, definitely. And that way in was through, you know, perhaps a, the biggest boost to it was probably about, 10 years ago when houseplants came mm. back in vogue because I think a lot of younger people or one when they get to late teenage and get into their early 20s and perhaps get their own home it's a rented home mm. and so they don't want to necessarily initially invest in the garden but they'll invest in houseplants and it's been massive hasn't it that houseplant interest definitely and the interesting thing is i've always said and I, i've got no idea whether it's true or not but it feels to me like it's the first real success in gardening from instagram yeah yeah um, yeah i agree someone told me that there's something like two million hashtags used for houseplants on instagram that's incredible isn't mm. it yeah. Because I, th- I think the other thing is that people want to look at pictures of things that are exotic and mm. a bit different. Yeah. And, and in a home context, because we've all got used to our home environment and we've all been watching telly programs for the last 30 or 40 years about zhushing up your, your home and making your home look nice. And not everybody has got a space outside either, have they? No. Um, and so that inspiration and that tropicality that comes from houseplants, mm. it just adds something living and breathing indoors that I think inspires younger people. So, yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's a great way. In. Yeah, I think it really is, uh, it definitely. So for those people who um, maybe have got, like you said, maybe have got a houseplant or, or maybe are a bit worried about getting a house plant um, because some people and I've heard lots of people say I'm not good at gardening um, what would you say would the first steps would be do you know the first step would be really to grow something simple and by that I mean something even like a spider plant which I would consider to be one of the easiest plants not to kill if you know I agree, what yeah. I mean and, and rubber plants and things like that ficus plants Things that are really straightforward and easy. And and then 
I probably guess that my best bit of advice would be don't dribble water into the pots <laughs> you know because I think we're all a bit tentative when it comes to water and then we either over underdo it so we keep things too dry and then things go brown around the edges or we overdo it and we kill it with sort of inverted commas kindness mm. and plant roots actually need both moisture but also air at their roots so what I do with my house plants is rather than water them in situ I I move them into the kitchen once a week fill the kitchen sink with tepid water so that's water that's not too cold because straight out of the mains it can be perishing cold yeah. can't it? and um and then and then plunge the pots in for most of my house plants there's some I wouldn't do it to ones that perhaps don't like to get their feet too wet but most of them can just be plunged into the sink for half an hour three quarters of an hour then take them out on the draining board excess drain away and they've had a really good watering at their feet mm. and then the air comes back in as the excess drains away and then you pop them back into their pot cover or whatever saucer or whatever they're standing in on the on the windowsill or wherever they're growing and they're fine mm. and they love that sort of treatment and the compost has got thoroughly moistened so all the roots get some water um, and it increases the humidity around the plants and they thrive on that and and I think it's just mastering that art of watering yeah. that is the most important thing and I think it's one of those things as well that is ever so hard to explain to people hmm. and I, you see all sorts of advice like pick the pot up does it feel light well it's a, that's a really tricky <laughs> thing to, to gauge isn't it does it feel light or not <laughs> don't know it's quite a big plant and it's you know heavy mm. and you know so it's really difficult for people to gauge so i think if you start the plunging business and and letting the excess drain perhaps then you can pick the pot up and think oh this is what the pot normally feels like mm. you know this is this is how how heavy it should be mm. and it gives you a good idea yeah. but i think that the other thing that people neglect to do is if you grow something in a pot in a limited amount of compost then you've got to feed it um, during that first couple of years. And then you've got to think about teasing some of that compost away from the roots after a couple of three years, taking the plant out of its pots, teasing that old compost away and refreshing it. And then you'll keep your house plants in tip-top condition. Yeah. And I think most of us have been guilty. I certainly have been in the past. I don't do it now. <laughs> I practice what I preach. But I think most of us have been guilty at some stage of just leaving the house plant in on the windowsill dribbling a bit of water on it and then after about six months thinking oh that doesn't look very well and then trying to cure the ills you know when it's gone too far mm. whereas if you're one of my biggest things i say to people is be proactive about growing plants don't be reactive because if you react to a plant looking ill then it's too late generally mm. you've got to be proactive about keeping the plant in tip-top condition and then it will give you its best best shot. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned uh, spider plants there. Mm. Um, one thing I'd say about them as well, and one of one of the processes in gardening that still I find fascinating is propagation. Um, now that's got to be one of the easiest things to propagate going. Well, it has because not only can you um, knock the plant out of its pot and tease the the clump of plants apart, which is the basis of division. Mm -hmm which teaches you a really basic technique that you can use 
both with lots of other house plants but also out in the garden as well so you can divide them and pot them up individually into little plants but that but the spider plant is a real generous thing isn't yeah. it and it makes loads of little babies on those stringy things um and the little babies at the end of those stringy um stems can be either pegged down into compost or detached and put into compost and they'll root really quickly and then you've got plants to share the love mm. you know you can give them to other newbie gardeners and and share them around and you know people can be a bit sniffy uh, certainly of my generation you know oh spider plants oh they're so common well actually they're not people have only just started appreciating them again and they're just really good doers yeah um, and and a great way for people to start gardening yeah definitely and you mentioned getting that sort of exotic um look around the home and things like that mm. now you've traveled to very far-flung areas for plants yeah i've been very lucky as well um you know i keep saying how lucky i am but i i started about 30 years ago um <clears throat> escorting groups um going on trips gardening trips so mm. they might be 30 to 50 people um going on a what's called a gardening holiday so i've managed to over the years i've been to south africa and um, more tropical parts of uh, africa as well i've been to um, the rainforest in brazil and been oh, up wow. the amazon uh, been to northern australia and well most of australia and new zealand and china and you know the list goes on and on and all around europe and just going with people and not just looking at gardens but looking at plants growing in their natural habitats and i think that's one of the biggest ways in which i've learnt more and more about gardening and plants is by going and seeing them growing in the wild because if you see a go down to south africa for example and you get all sorts of little tiny species gladioli. So you know those big things, the big tall flower yes. bunches that we buy, bunches of gladioli, yeah. don't we? Dame Edna Everidge style. Um, but but those all originate from some species in South Africa. And they've all been highly bred into those florist type gladioli. But some of those little baby species that perhaps only grow to about 8 inches or 20 centimetres tall, that some of those grow by the side of the road in South Africa in oh, right. in gritty sort of rubbish soil, and they really appreciate the water that runs off the road and the free drainage. So, mm. what I learned from that is that a lot of gladioli they like plenty of water to during the growing season, but they need free drainage. So, if you put them in very heavy claggy soil, they don't like it. So it it just all starts to make sense. It all adds up when you see the plants growing in the wild. And another one that's really popular, Agapanthus, for example. We've seen yeah. the rise and rise of the Agapanthus. It just goes on and on, doesn't it, really? Mm, yeah, it does. And, you know, I often get questioned about, you know, what's the best way to grow them? Well, I've seen them growing. Again, they come from South Africa. I've seen those growing at the tops um, of mountains in the crevices where where the where the tops of the valleys start if you like and it makes like a boggy area at the top of that river valley mm. uh, where the river has its source right up in the mountains and all the water collects there during the heavy rainfall periods which tends to be in the summer uh, and then in the winter in south africa it's very dry 
So those mm. plants sit there and they go dormant when it gets dry. So they get plenty of water during the summer and then they go dry in the winter. So that can inform us how we grow them in this country. So they do really well in the UK if you grow them in pots um, because you can keep the drainage good in the winter hmm. and, and you don't, you know, they're not sitting in cold, wet soil over winter if they're in a pot. They're in hopefully good free-drained compost. And then you just keep piling the water on during the summer and they love it. So it it really has helped me uh, advise people about how to grow plants when I've seen them growing in the wild, you know. And I would I would advise anybody, even if you know, wherever you go on holiday, it could be in the UK, go and look at plants growing in the wild or down in the Mediterranean. Just take yourself off from the beach, you know, just once during the course of your holiday <laughs> and just have a walk round in the hinterland, you know, on the mountains or whatever, or the, the hills behind where, you, where you're staying hmm. and, and see where the plants are growing in the native environment. And um, it really helps. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. And you mentioned about sort of going out even in the UK. Um, yeah. Am I right in thinking in July you've got a bit of a, a trek going on? Yeah, we're going, we're going around around britain um is that the one you mean i think so yeah and so i've got i've got about four different trips this year right so um i've got one in may coming up where we're going around britain um with gardeners world magazine right. so we've got a cruise that's going around britain and dipping into all the different ports all the way around so we get to see britain from a different angle if you like mm. we don't often approach it from the sea do no, we? We don't. unless we're going unless we're going from dover or something but um so that's going to be really exciting and it means that we can get up to scotland and we could go to northern ireland and see different different climates and gardens and plants mm. but then in july i'm going um down to provence in france mm. uh with monty don right uh so he's going to join me for a day or two and we're going down to look at plants and gardens down there. Um, and yeah, I've got a couple more trips planned as well. So it's a, it's a busy life. Yeah, <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> so with all that travelling and, and all your work that you've got going on, how much time do you get to spend in your own garden? Not enough. No. And I think you probably knew I was going to say yeah. that. Because it's, <laughs> you know, when you work in the business, it's almost like a busman's holiday, mm. isn't it? And it's very easy to think, oh, you know... Oh, I haven't got time to do it. I make time mm. as much as I can. So I try and put aside at least half a day a week um, to do my gardening. But there's part of me that says I want to retire <laughs> <laughs> because I want to spend all my time out yeah. there. But you know what? I don't think I can stop talking to people about it, really. So I've got to keep working mm. to keep spreading the news, I think. Seems... But yeah, um, so a day a week would be luxury. Yeah. And half a day a week is um, a, a necessity. Yeah, quite. Really. And it's uh, it's interesting. I I often mention on the podcast that uh, where I currently live is my granddad's um, old vegetable patch. Oh wow! But he didn't actually get to really tend that. Into so you've got a house there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, I hope so. Funny enough. We're recording on my uh, my son's first birthday today. Um, oh wow! Um, so I've got an eight-year-old and a and a one-year-old. But yeah, we built um, our house on the nursery um, yeah. on his old vegetable patch, um, and I don't remember him really gardening until he retired. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't yeah. it? 
really. I think it's often the way, though. I suppose it's the same as um, you often see mechanics um, driving around in cars that don't look particularly well kept. Yeah, I think I think it is busman's holiday, mm. isn't it? Really, it is that. But I, I guess I guess if you're growing plants on a nursery for other people, mm. then you're getting your fix, aren't you? Yeah. Exactly, but, uh, but your actual home garden and making a beautiful environment where you live probably does only become a real priority when you're perhaps retired and you're spending a lot more time at home looking at it yeah. and thinking, "Oh, there's a lot of weeds over there." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas at the moment, I just take a quick trip out and think, "Oh, those weeds don't matter. I, <laughs> I can catch them another time." Yeah. You know. But there we are. I'm only human. Exactly, and I think. Uh, the majority of people I speak to um, say exactly the same, funnily enough. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but um, wonderful that you've got, you know, two kids and, and is the eight-year-old showing signs of oh, interest? very, very much. She's, oh, excellent. Yeah. Like um, and um, her mum, my wife, um, she's uh, she, she loves gardening, uh, but obviously doesn't have the same background. Um, she comes yeah. from a completely different background. Um, I'm fourth generation. Um, so at, until my nan passed away uh, around about uh, five years ago now that we had four generations on this one side that's amazing mm. and that just shows you know that expertise yeah is is what you what you're thriving on you know people people need that expertise and coming to a nursery like yours mm. you know that, that that generational building of of knowledge is it's so crucial that we don't lose that mm. Um, and the demise of you know nurseries which was happening about 20 30 years ago i think we're starting to see that reversing and the people who are still in nurseries like yours are staying put mm. and we're seeing more nurseries just starting to open aren't we so yeah, definitely it's such it's such a valuable resource because all that knowledge accumulating over four generations mm. that's that's unreplaceable isn't it yeah definitely you know, and you've learned you've learned from the experts really yeah without a doubt and my my dad's uh, traditionally trained um but yeah. i i didn't i i was trained in other other things that i decided not to go into um but it you've seen the light <laughs> exactly i ended up fitting ski boots for a period of time actually mm. <laughs> so yeah mm. i suppose that's sort of obliquely gardening isn't it it sort of relates to the earth yes. through the foot although if you've had a bad pair of ski boots, it doesn't relate to anything. <laughs> no, no. Um, so when you first got into gardening, um, obviously you was a child, um, mm. but do you remember a, a particular person or maybe a book or an article in a paper that really got you inspired? Okay, so the person was my Uncle Jim. Right. Um, I, had, I was quite lucky in as much as I didn't have grandparents, but I had aunts and uncles mm. who were older... Um, so my mum and dad were quite elderly when I was born and all my dad's brothers and sisters were older than him. So it was like having loads of grandparents because they were all quite elderly. Hmm. But they were all mad keen gardeners. And my uncle Jim lived in Norfolk and he was an absolutely obsessive vegetable grower and very good at it. Um, so he would send me out. I, one of my earliest memories is going out to collect peas for the, for lunch. You know, go and pick some peas and we'll have them with our lunch. And, of course, I would get in trouble because the peas very rarely got back indoors because <laughs> I ate them all before I got back inside. But, you know, just watching him garden was... He was just an instinctive gardener. He mm. really knew what he was doing. And then 
his sister and my dad's sister um too um, her name was dorothy and she was a really good flower gardener and she was a maiden lady mm. so she was you know a different part of my family and she was a maiden lady and she just spent all the hours that god sends out in her garden well she had two gardens she had one in london and then one in norfolk and she gardened and gardened and gardened and gardened and of course you couldn't go and see her without going out in the garden and <laughs> weeding with her so she taught me what was a weed and what wasn't a weed um and i i just you know those were my inspirational people and then in terms of books it was sort of fast forward a little bit probably to when i was at college and i mm. discovered a woman called penelope hobhouse right and she wrote a book called color in the garden and i think up until then i'd just been really concerned with growing plants and just enjoying them and not connecting them together hmm. and that book covers not just only garden design but also how to use color really creatively in the garden so how to make your garden look bigger by using color right. i mean who'd have thought it yeah. you know? and and that book really was a was a great testament to to my developing my sort of landscaping and garden design side if you like hmm. and then another set of books were the phillips and ricks books do you know those i do yes yeah. they're like they're like um dawling kindersley hmm. um format so they've got um plates colored plates pictures of all the plants laid out on tables so that you can compare the different varieties together um, and I just remember sitting there and poring over those for, well, every time I had any spare time, I'd be looking at those books and learning plants and learning. And everybody says, you know, oh, Latin plant names. Oh, no, I, I don't get on with Latin plant names. Well, I don't think any of us do, really. No. But if if you start learning them, if you learn one a day, and, and I probably learned five a day when I was when my brain was a bit more malleable. But um, if you just learn one a day, by the end of a month, you've learned 30, haven't you? 30, yeah. 31. Hmm. So by that means, you've got the potential to learn over 350, 50, hmm. 360, however many days there are in a year. You've got the potential to learn it really quickly, and it's only learning one new name a day. Hmm. You know, so I think that's the way to go. And, and we've got to try and talk a bit of plant Latin, haven't we? About plant names because it's it's really important that when people come to a nursery like yours that we're speaking the same language yeah it's um it's an interesting thing and we we get it at rhs shows more than anywhere else um, but because people are coming from different parts of the country uh the common names really really trip us up yeah we find it do. very very hard to deal with well there's there's i was talking to somebody the other day and i was saying um, I was talking about um, Thumbergia and um, was saying that it's a great plant, it's an annual climber and sometimes it's called Black-Eyed Susan. And they said, oh, I thought that Rebecca was Black-Eyed Susan. So if you go to North America, hmm. Rebecca, which is the sort of daisy-like, golden daisy-like plant with a, a big black knobble in the middle, browny black knobble in the middle, that's called Black-Eyed Susan. So already those are two different very different plants one is a climbing plant one is a herbaceous perennial and they both got the same name they've both got the same common name 
So, whereas if you speak in Latin, <laughs> sounds very grand, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But if you speak in, in horticultural Latin, then you can pinpoint exactly what you mean. So, yeah, and actually, funny enough, from a common name point of view, you can kind of see how they would have similar names. Yeah, because they visually look mm. the same, and people people just give them a very visual common name, don't mm. they? I wonder what Susan's got to do with all of this. I don't know. I don't know. She obviously had a black eye for some reason, didn't she? <laughs> she did, yeah. <laughs> um, and you've obviously been gardening for a long time. You've had a lot of successes and things like that. Can you think of um, any notable failures that you've had? I have never been able to grow... Well, I can grow them, but I've never been particularly successful with growing carrots for some reason. Oh, and you'd think that that would be really straightforward, wouldn't you? And hmm. something that was really easy. And I just have to put my hand up and say that I've never really grown good carrots. And I wish I knew how. Perhaps somebody could tell me. But um, I follow all the advice. All the advice was given by my uncle. Um, I do everything by the book. I try and sow at the right time. And then perhaps if they don't germinate, the first lot don't germinate, I have another go. But they never turn out particularly well and I'm obviously doing something That's interesting, very, very fundamentally wrong that I've never been a good carrot grower but I can grow Brussels sprouts which most allotment people would say was a much more technical crop to grow mm. I can grow Brussels sprouts very good <laughs> interesting it's funny isn't it but that's the point about gardening mm. that we can't be experts at everything and I've always tried to be such a a wide generalist about gardening so that I can have as much knowledge as possible and I don't I don't think that allows me to be an expert in any one thing I would never ever you know I'd look at all the people that go to Chelsea you know all the nursery people that go to Chelsea and they are all experts in their particular field hmm. but when you dig a bit deeper you find that they perhaps haven't got as much knowledge about another aspect of gardening or growing Without so it you know, so I, I have never professed to be an expert in all aspects of gardening. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm allowed to not be able to grow carrots. But I can definitely, I'm your man for Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. My dad always explains it um, as um, if you go to a car dealer, a Ford car dealer, you wouldn't go in and ask advice on an Audi. No. Um, just because they probably won't know too much about it. They, they can probably look at it and give you an idea. Um, well, they but, could tell you that it's got an engine exactly. and it's got four wheels mm. but, yeah. yeah and we're exactly the same we're predominantly herbs and chilies um, uh, but if you ask me about lots of plants although I'm interested and read quite a bit um, I, I wouldn't be even close to an expert <laughs> well it's I, that's the beauty of it isn't it mm. because there's always something new to learn and I know that you know I will carry on learning about gardening till the day I die mm. and that's the beauty of it it's just what other thing is there in in our lives that uh, that allows us to carry on learning and learning and learning mm. um, and and distrust anybody who presents themselves to you as an expert I think is is what I would say <laughs> you know in, in absolutely every aspect of horticulture because you can bet your bottom dollar there's something they don't know oh without doubt yeah 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 and actually if if they do say they're an expert in all of it then that almost says they're definitely not yeah because they're not prepared to find out about mm. things they don't know yeah or they don't know what they don't know mm. 
that sounds a bit convoluted, doesn't it? It does, but, oh no. <laughs> but, but that's the truth. That's that's what it is. Definitely. Yeah. And you've obviously got a, a busy year coming up. Um, if people want to find more about what you do and, and things like that, what's the best way for them to, to have a look at what you do? Well, I've got a website. I feel quite... Um, I, th- I think it's one of the benefits of having such an unusual name, David Hurrian. Hmm. You know, there aren't many Hurrians in the phone book. <laughs> so I, it meant that I managed to get quite a good domain name so I've got my own domain name, which is my my name. So if you Google David Hurrian, it comes. It's the first thing that comes up. That's yeah, a surprise, sure. isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I've got a website um, where I where you've got a sort of like a potted history of me and what I do, um, and then I've also got um, a YouTube channel uh, that I must do some more videos for because I I've been I did them religiously last year and. Uh, then got too busy to carry on doing them so i've I've done a huge body of um useful practical videos Mm. um that's on my youtube channel again that's david hurrian um youtube.com forward slash david hurrian so yeah those are probably the easiest ways to find out more about me but i'm i'm a big social media person as well you know i do quite a lot on instagram and twitter um so yeah i think i'm reasonably easy to find excellent But, but but you know the one of the things that I find most rewarding is going out to garden groups and clubs and doing talks to them, you know, mm. real gardeners, people who, who are keen to get more knowledge. So I do quite a lot of talks to them. So, um, yeah, perhaps that's that's what I'll be doing when I retire. I'll be doing more <laughs> talks to local gardening groups. Excellent. And what we do, we put um, all the links to your social media and the website and things like that in the show notes oh, so people really can... Enjoying can um, link through to that it's um it's been really nice of you to join us thanks alan i've really enjoyed it and i yeah. haven't rambled on for too long no not at all <laughs> um and Ed, quickly before we go um you're hoping to launch a podcast soon as well yeah i i'm working on it at the moment so i'm working with um an old teaching friend of mine when we were both at sparshall college near winchester and um, we talked together for a number of years and she's one of my oldest gardening friends and we just get on really well so we decided that we would do our own podcast and um, so watch this space excellent i don't think it will compete with yours <laughs> the more the merrier done. Yeah. well that's right getting more information out there about gardening definitely you know, that's what we've got to do isn't it? yeah brilliant thank you very much for joining us david it's been Thanks, really Alex. really nice yeah thank happy you. gardening Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.